Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. It's time for a special episode. I'm joined by Ron McGarry, a Newcastle United striker who wore the famed number nine shirt back in the 60s. He's kindly invited me into his home to talk about his career at Newcastle United. Ron, thank you very much for taking You're the welcome. opportunity. Um, I want to start with, um, I spoke to John Gibson, who obviously has worked for the Chronicle for many, many years, and he described you, um, he said, if you weren't a footballer, you would have been a stand-up comedian. <laughs> Oh, yes, I've done a few of the uh, shows down at one of the comedy clubs. And uh, I've always been a character. And well, ha- bullish and said what I wanted to say. Whether anybody liked it or not, I just said it. And how important is that, do you think, in a dressing room, uh, you know, if things aren't going well, to have that kind of uh, sense of humour? Oh, it's, that's worth its weight in gold, that. You've got to have somebody that can speak up at when you're in the club, and especially if you're having a bad time at the club, you get players not talk to each other and they'll say, he's in my place where I should be playing, I'm a better player than him. Well, we didn't have that in the 60s. Everybody accepted. If you made a bad mistake, they tried to help you by talking to you. But now it doesn't happen, they're just going off. And does that, does that kind of, does that upset you in many ways when you see the modern day game and how it's, how it's changed? Oh, yeah. Many time I've been down to the football ground there, you see them coming in with the ghetto blasters on. They'll give a couple of slap of the hands and that. Anybody wants an autograph, you might get one and off they go. It's not the same. We used to go in when the kids were off school for six weeks. They used to come down when we were training. We used to line them all up and then sign the autographs all the way through and they used to go on quite happy because it's the fans that pay the wages for me because if you don't get any crowds going to the matches, you don't get paid. Well, certainly. And, I mean, you worked with Joe Harvey before he signed you for Newcastle. Yeah. Um, can you just explain how he came across you? Well, I, I was in the army and I was playing uh, for the army camp in the Carlisle League. They were in a different league and we kept winning 6 nil, 8 nils, 10 nils, and I was scoring quite a few goals. And then the commandant sent for me one day, he says, Workington's been on for you. They want you to go down for a, a trial. So I says, fair enough. And the commandant says, I'll take you. Well, the commandant going down there, getting in the boardroom and a few whiskeys, that was right up his street, you know. So I went down and I played in a game. Like I came off 10 minutes before the end. He says, you look a bit tired. I said, well, I just played in the F- in one of the cup finals for the army this afternoon. I says, and I've come for the trial. Oh, he says, right. I said, I've been to Whitehaven for a trial at rugby, and they want me to sign as at rugby. But Joe Harvey come up with the best deal, more mon- most money for being an amateur, so I signed for Joe. Because it's true that the expenses were better playing rugby than they were playing for work because uh, Gibbo was mentioned that he, he was he, I think Harvey came to see you play and you you weren't there and uh, someone said oh, he's, he's off playing rugby because the expenses were that's, a bit more that's correct uh, I got the, I got the more money when I went to that for that trial but Joe talked me around and uh, and ever since then he's been like a father to me Joe he was great and when you signed for Workington, uh, bearing in mind the kind of the league structure and what have you, yeah. did you ever envisage that not not just playing for Newcastle, but for your first move to to Bolton Wanderers? I mean, a big team back then. I mean, what was that like to get your first move into into league football? Oh, it was fantastic for me because I came from a part of the uh, Whitehaven. It's a part with it. It's like in a time warp. Just stand still, you know, and you're not thinking you're going anywhere. I just went there to play football. I didn't expect to get signed for Bolton Wanderers and 
come to Newcastle and do well at Newcastle. Oh, it was a hell of a lift to me. I, I felt fantastic when I came to Newcastle, especially. And when with that close relationship with Joe, um, when you first signed for Workington, did you know who Joe Harvey was? He was this FA Cup winning captain of Newcastle. No, I only know Joe. I was playing for uh, the Cumbrian under 16s, and we came up. And our day out after the match was to go and see uh, Newcastle United playing. They were playing Portsmouth, and they got beat four 0 And I thought, God, there's rubbish up here. <laughs> up here. But I'd start to get into, when I started to play before working and, and talking to Joe and all that and found out what he had done, it, uh, if I reached the heights of him, even just half, it would have been great for me. But it was, if it hadn't been for Joe Harvey, I would have still been working down the pits or something. What, when you met Joe you know, and you were at Workington, did you get the sense that he... He was learning his trade and, and he really had these ambitions to, to maybe not go back to manage Newcastle but to, to manage higher up the, the league system. Oh, Joe, you could see he had it in him. Joe was uh, he's like a psychiatrist. He knew how to talk to you. He had to be hard with some players and soft with other players but he always got it over and you appreciate it for him and he never, ever ran you down. He would come and talk to you and you'd, he'd lift you in that little bit, you know. And he was great for uh, working. What was his approach with you? Was it hard or was it soft? Oh, it, it was all right with me. When I was in the army, we were playing at Colchester when I was at working. So we played at Colchester and we moved on to Doncaster for the Monday game. I said, but I've got to get back to camp. Oh, she says, I'll sort that out. Don't worry about that. So I plays at Doncaster and then I goes back to camp and I'm put inside for 14 days. So I couldn't contact anybody. I'm running around holding a gun above me with a big haversack on. So I rang Joe after I came out and I says, I don't think I should come back to this club anymore. He says, what's the matter? I says, you told me that you were going to ring the commandant and I would be all right for that game. I says, I've been inside for 14 days doing jankers and everything. Oh, he says, oh, that's life. And that's all it was. <laughs> he just went off the phone. <laughs> Brilliant. Did he talk about Newcastle in his time at Workington? Was, was it, or, because, of, like we say, he lifted the FA Cup. He was a legend on Tyneside. Um, as a person, did he have that kind of ego or was it he was just a very, he was just, just a normal a, man? Just a normal man, Joe. You, people, you know, he would talk about FA Cups and all things like that, but Joe was just an ordinary man, you know, because he said to me when I, when he transferred me to Workington, I could have went to Leeds for £10,000. And he said, uh, Revy, no, no, we want more than that for him. And then Bolton came in with 12500 offer, and he says that keep us going for a few seasons, so he says, sign for them. So I signed for uh, Bolton. And then he says to us, don't worry, Ron. I'll be getting a Newcastle job in the next 12 to 2 years. He says, I'll come back for you. Lo and behold, he did. He came back for us after a year. He did. Did you Did you think he'd be true to his word? I did. I thought he was already, more or less, to get me soul and get the money back for the club, you know. And then when uh, he sent his blog down, he says, Joe's coming to sign you again. Brilliant. Did you get any special visitors uh, at Workington? Because obviously, you know, Joe, we say part of that Newcastle United side. Any any special visitors that popped their head in to see you, see you play? Well, there was one game that uh, at Nottingham Forest had uh, bought a right fullback, and we were we were playing Notts Forest, Bolton Wanderers, and I had Wynn Davis was playing at centre forward with me then, and. Uh, Work it and press came all the way up to Bolton just for that game, and we beat uh, Notts Forest six one, and I got two goals. You know, I felt I, I was ribbing this fullback. <laughs> <laughs> and from going from you know being in the army to playing or deciding between uh, playing rugby or football, just you know, maybe you know on how much the expenses were to playing league football um, for a, reg a relatively big side. 
how did that feel? Did did you ever envisage that that would be the, no. that would that would be no. on the cards? No, no. Where I came from, that was m- more or less rugby, rugby league, you know. And getting uh, something like that, going into the big club like that, oh, built you up. Because uh, Newcastle would have been uh, nearer to Whitehaven than any of the other clubs, big clubs and that. And, and me being the centre forward, following all Jackie Milburn, all the Lenny Whites, all the great players, you know, it, I felt... Well, it's hard to describe. I was that happy, mm. and I never looked back because Joe Harvey was the one that made me. I, I, I get the sense that you know, for you playing football or rugby, it was kind of just was it just kind of you just loved playing sport, you loved competing, oh, yeah. and it was just kind of a it was just a hobby, and it just it fell into your lap, kind of. I used to go out, and I used to say I wanted to do me job on a Saturday. And then when we finish on the Saturday, just come home, go and have a meal, and then go for a night out. That was our, and none of us ever uh, criticised each player. You know, we used to all go out together, and it was, uh, oh, it was, it was like just like a family. It was just like going going home to me. It was marvellous. I'll never forget uh, the Newcastle when <laughs> when I first. Uh, came up here and getting off the train hey god i got off the train at the central station and i'm walking up and all you can hear is divin gunning away hinny how are you i thought where the hell have i landed <laughs> i thought i'm in a foreign land here and when i turned around the train had gone i said oh that's me snooker now <laughs> but the fantastic uh, supporters most certainly so you got weird that harvey was was coming back in for you he was busy building a side that was going to get promotion. Um, just describe the feeling when you first got word that it was, this is real, I'm, I'm, I'm going to Newcastle. Oh, was, when, as soon as I come up and signed uh, for Joe, you know, and we negotiated contracts and he looked after me money-wise and, and I thought, God, I'm coming into this team. And then when he had players like Stan Anderson was... Uh, England international, you had Jimmy Harley and John McGrath, some great players that you were going into, you know. And when I start scoring the goals, I felt ten foot high because I'm the one that's scoring the goals. I'm the one that's getting all the publicity among all these big players. Did Did you know when you went to sign that you were going to be getting the number nine shirt? Well, I, I played. Uh, Inside forward at Bolton, and I played uh, inside left on the other uh, when I was at work and all that. But I was put in as a striker if those players uh, injured at work and that. And then when I went to Bolton, I, w- I played inside forward. And then when I come to Newcastle, Joe says, you're playing number nine. That's your position. We're going to use you up front. And that's when I got the number nine shirt. And I st- set the before he died, I told him, I says, well, you knew I was the best centre forward in the country that time, Joe. He says, I know, Ron, that's why I bought you. <laughs> Were you aware of the history of that number nine shirt? Some absolute oh, yeah. legends, some greats. You mentioned Jackie Milburn. Lenny White. Um, Lenny White. I mean, was was there any, was there ever a moment, maybe, I don't know, you woke up with a cold sweat going, goodness me, I've got some boots to fill. Uh, well, you knew you think to yourself, I'll never reach them heights. That's what you're all thinking to yourself. And then you go and you say, oh, well, I'm going to try anyway. I'm going to try my best. So I start talking to the press, telling the press how good I was. <laughs> and people used to rib me and that. And as Frankie Clark at the show the other night, he says, well, he shouted his mouth off and he produced the goods. He got played in 31... Uh, 31 games and he scored 16 goals he says what more do you want exactly you want a goal scorer and Newcastle certainly got it now I want to talk about the nickname Cassius <laughs> now I've heard a few stories of, of Tawai um, I've heard it was to duty a quick lip which is still evident um, today but I've also heard that you decked the Swansea player early on uh, so it was it which one was it or was it both it was uh, we were playing uh Swansea up here and it was um, no it was Coventry actually Coventry we were playing and there was a big stocky 
centre off. And he kept kicking me every time I went by and I thought I'll get him. And the next time he come, he come to kick us and he just caught us on the ankle. So I just let one go and I knocked, I knocked him flat out. And I was coming up the stairs and uh, Jim Hill was the manager at the time and he was coming down and he says to me, you silly boy. I says, if you didn't get away from me, I'll rip that beard off your chin. And I said, off, off I went up the, <laughs> up the tunnel and that was it. But uh, getting the name, it was, we were playing, uh, I think it was Cardiff. And I got sent off, this Palmer sent her off. I had a big fight with him on and off the field all the time. And uh, I was coming along and little Gordon Hughes was coming there as I was walking away being sent off. He says, never mind, Ron, you'll be all right. I says, Gordon, if I'd have stayed on, I would have took him in the fifth. And that's where I got Cassius clear, you know. Because I remember the bloke ringing me up. In America, he says, can I use your nickname, Cassius? I said, look what happened to him. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the, the atmosphere at the time in the dressing room, Castle were going for promotion. Um, and it, I mean, obviously, Joe Harvey got it. You, you were top scorer, I believe. Um, what was the atmosphere like at the oh, time going for going for promotion? Oh, it was fantastic because every game we, we thought we could never be beat. We, you know, we were playing Northampton. We joined top with us halfway through the season and we beat them 5-0. And I got a trick that day, you know, they said we're invincible. And by Christmas time, we were guaranteed promotion. We, we, we had a real good side, you know, and we played some good football. I remember when uh, we were playing at Portsmouth and most of our play defenders were injured. So Joe says to me, will you play right off? I says, aye. So we won 2-0, I played right off and I scored a goal. So when I got back into the dressing room with John McGrath and Stan Anderson, the top players that were injured, I says, I think I'll have to play it right half all the time. It's easy playing here. I can even score from here. But I got some stick off them. <laughs> and so you, you were kind of the joker of, of the pack. Um, now, uh, you look at Joe Harvey, and obviously um, he's, he's long since died, unfortunately. But uh, he, he looks a very stern man. He looks a very tough man. Um, how did he take your kind of uh, you know, telling jokes, winding people up? Uh, was he was he kind of was he for that, or did he, he just do it when he was out the room? Well, George used to, as long as we were winning, you could mess around and all that in the dressing room and everything, and that, as long as you were winning. But if you start to have a bad run yourself, you know, he would get onto you and tell you, "Don't be so stupid at times," he says, and <laughs> put your ideas up and do this, you know. But I never used to take any notice and I'd say, well, I'll come good again, boss, you know, to him. And he used to say, well, go on, get yourself away. But, and, uh, the, there's, there was a Cardiff game and uh, 4-1 down at half time, a game you expected to win. And you went into the dressing room and I believe right. you, you tried to perk up the lads. We'll get me 4-0 and uh, Stan Anderson sat next to me and I, his face, his chin was just about on the floor. I says, for God's sake, Dan, man, cheer up, man. I says, we're only getting beat 4-0, man. I says, we've got the wind. We should do well the second half. And he just give a, a giggle and that. And if we finish up, we've got to be 5-4. Nearly, and though, nearly. Old Seymour come in. Remember, he says, you fought hard, lads. And uh, we used to stop off at the... Um, the motorway calf's then, you know, and never made. He bought us a bottle of champagne, old Seymour, the chairman. <laughs> Said, you've done well, lads. Well, that was my next question, because a lot of interesting characters um, upstairs on the board at that time. Um, obviously, Seymour himself was an absolute uh, legend. He first, was. first person to, to win an FA Cup as manager and player for Newcastle um, across the actual English football league. Um, what was he like? As a as a as a director, oh, he just got on with the job, you know. But the, the only thing with Stan, he had a he had a sports shop, and when he wanted new boots, Frankie Brennan had a sports shop. You couldn't go to his; you had to go to all Stan's, you know. But it, it didn't really bother you, know. Most of the directors never uh, said much, you know. Like the uh, one thing I always said. Uh, when I first come up here and that and I was getting my contract signed, 
I went to Lord Westwood for asked for more money and he put his patch on his good eye when he was <laughs> signing me contract. I just want to talk about the moment that promotion was secured then. Um, was it a sense of inevitability? Like you say, you, you, you guys were playing so well that it was just something that was expected or was it Joe was very much, let's get the job done and then we can, then we can celebrate? Oh, Joe always said he wouldn't accept it straight away. He just said, we've got a few games more to play. You just play them games and you don't think about anything else, promotion or nothing. You just play your games. And he says, It'll, once it comes, you'll know it's arrived. Mm. And we used to say, oh, right off, boss. And the celebrations then when it did arrive? Oh, we had a, a night. There was a nightclub called Michael's. And we went to Michael's nightclub. Everything was free. Sitting having a meal, they all had the wives there. And big John McGrath and I were just by ourselves, and we were going over ordering cigars, boxing, boxing cigars, and passing them, around, passing them around, and everybody totally enjoyed it. We had a, a really good night, and we got presented with a, a gold medal on a plaque, and I got the one with the goal, leading goal scorer, and all that on, and I still got it. Yeah, yet the medal, it's on my wife's charm. <laughs> And as I mean, how proud are you from a personal point of view of um, not only being part of that side but top goal scorer? Oh, it was phenomenal for me. Everybody likes centre forwards that scoring goals, and you're in the public eye all the time. Didn't matter wherever you went. I'd done all the presentations because the ushering Joe Harvey up and used to say, "Oh, Ronald, do it," before I even knew anything about it, <laughs> because I remember. A, he used to get me some funny blooming uh, pre presentations when I had to go to a gear club and they said to choose the men dressed up as women and mm. I had to pick the one that looked more like a woman. <laughs> so I'm sitting there and I thought, what the hell am I doing here? And when I picked the brunette and they come by me and he called me all the names under the sun and I says to the owner, who's he? He says, I don't know. Well, when he came back with his suit on, it was my next door neighbour. <laughs> was a transvestite. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't write that. <laughs> um, your relationship with the press, obviously, um, we've mentioned Gibbo. He had a fantastic relationship with pretty much every single player. He would go out on the town with them and enjoy a uh, pint here and there, to say the least. Um, and what was it like working with the press? And what was it like working with Gibbo as well? Oh, it was smashing with... Gibbo, Gibbo was one of the lads. You know, he'd, he'd come and he'd interview you. He'd even ask you, what questions should I ask you? <laughs> you know, because he didn't want to, to fall out with any of the lads because he had some good nights out. He got a lot of freebies, you know, and uh, I think Gipper thought he was one of our players, which we went around, you know. Mm. But he, he was always good with, and fair with the players, you know, never ran us down. Unless you were out with him and you didn't get your round in. <laughs> <laughs> he said that was always key, that you could strike up a kind of a friendship. Obviously, he had a, a brilliant relationship with, with Supermax, still does. Um, and he said you could be friends of all these players, but the, the, the important bit was to remain neutral. If someone had a bad game, you yeah. wouldn't say they had a good game. No. And is that what you guys kind of felt? You understood that he'd be fair? Oh, yeah, it was fair. But, well, you know, a, a player knows when he's having a bad time. You don't have to be told or anything. But at present day, you see them getting onto them and they seem to go off and then they start to call the club and then they're wanting to be away. The different rate, when we played, you, you were a bunch of players going out on the field on a Saturday, earning a living. And that's all you wanted to do was go and play. It doesn't matter who was playing and who wasn't playing. You didn't fall out with a bloke because he, he couldn't get in the, your position when he thought he was better than you. But to present day, it's totally different. And we, plus we didn't have uh, all this discrimination and all that, you know. You had poor Paul Gascoigne. They used to throw Mars bars at him on the field, you know. But uh, it's a totally different era now compared to when, when we played, you know. Football was football then. It's a business now. I mean, of course, when you retired, you, you ran a news agent. Yeah. I mean, you had to work after you retired. Um and yet today they're paid hundreds of thousands of pounds a week. Right. Um, you know, 
the, the difference is, is it's it's quite scary, isn't oh, it? Oh, I used to have a betting shop, and now, when you know, you had to rely on people coming in. In the area I was in, everybody was on the dole. So instead of getting the five pound bets, ten pound bets, you were getting ten pences, twenty pences, and that you know to try and make a living, which was very very hard. But now they don't have to go into any businesses or nothing because they just put the money in the bank and that's going to last them the rest of their life. You, you mentioned Joe Harvey when you first signed for work and then to, to Newcastle. I mean, was he kind of like a father figure in many ways? And do you yeah. think that today's players, they lack that? Because like you say, it is all about a business and there's so many people that are there behind the scenes. Yeah. And what you actually do need is you need someone like a Joe Harvey to put yeah. an arm on the shoulder and, and guide you like you did with, with David Craig as well when he first moved over. Yeah. Joe Harvey was always like that. It was likes of, uh, I remember George Best, when, I was with Craig when they were uh, talking and that, and George was on about it when he first went to Manchester United, he couldn't settle. Wanted to come or go home all the time and Busby put his arm around him, start having a chat to him and explaining to him. Joe Harvey done the same to us. You got one young lad, he says, you're getting too skinny. He says, start drinking a bottle of Guinness a day. And the lad start doing it, and he started to put that little bit weight on him, you know, and he, he'd put his arm around him. He'd come to, like, say, Johnny Craggs, and then when Craigie was always getting in, your time will come, son. Just bear it, your time will come. And John did eventually get in, into the team, you know. He tried to help you always, but... If a player's playing better than you, you can't just drop him to put him in for a couple of games. And Joe could explain that. Mm. I remember we were, <laughs> we were playing Southampton and Trevor uh, Hockey was on the left, uh, on the right wing. And Joe Harvey says, look, now listen, there's a big centre forward called Shivers. He doesn't like to be bustled or knocked at anything. When you get the chance, just give him a little tap or something. So they kicked the match off and Trevor rang from the right wing and kicked them straight away. <laughs> and Joe, you see Joe on the side just shaking his head. <laughs> Brilliant. You wouldn't would get that today. Um, what were the nights out like then with the players? What was it like off the field? Again, um, I think Gibbo would be, it might be asking for a pound every time you mention his name, but he has told some stories about how, you know, there was just a nice atmosphere away from the pitch. Oh, yes. We used to, the lads used to meet. We used to go to one of the pubs at the back. And we used to play dominoes and just to put the time in and sign a few autographs with all the fans around. And then we used to go nightclubbing. And you'd go nightclubbing, and some of the lads used to go in on the casino, never bet nuts. But uh, then get a taxi home, everybody was quite happy just doing that. Um, is it true that you ran into the Beatles as well? Oh, I signed the Beatles in the in the Dolce Vita. We, I was in uh, Big John McGrath and I were coming in to the uh, nightclub, the La Dolce Vita, and Alan Spangler was the, the manager. He says, Ron, there's some kids here. Look at the state of them. They had uh, jeans on with holes in the, the knees. They had leather jackets with cuts in them. He says, they're wanting to get in the club. So she signed them in, so they put the names down, we signed it. And we bought them a, a pint of piece. John and I bought them a pint of piece. So we're at Blackpool, playing Blackpool. We goes into the television room watching the Top of the Pops. And this group come on. John says, them some kids, look at them. It was the Beatles. <laughs> I've been to a few, I've been to parties up here with, uh, when Myers Bowman used to have the uh, a big house in... Um, where was it at? Forest Hall. Well, the Rolling Stones are up here, and there. We had to go there, Wind Davis and I. <laughs> so they picked us up, and we went with them. They pulled up at the petal station. The one's filling the petal, and he's having a pee on the floor, you know. <laughs> and we were gone mad, and then we come back to Myers Bowman's place, and we, we just joined, <laughs> joined in, had a drink with them, and that. Oh, and like, so we knew Tom Jones very well. So we we go into the Dolce Vita and we'd stand and talk to them. Well, I had a pair of Roman gold-plated cufflinks 
And John says to me, can I borrow them for the show? I says, aye. I never ever got the bloody things back, did I? <laughs> but, we, but all the, they used to come training with us, you know, Jerry Marsden and um, the PJ Proby come training with the company. When they were painted Dolce Vita, they used to come up to Newcastle and train. Hmm. Oh, we met a lot of big stars. Count VSE, Hella Fitzgerald. It was real. It was an era where it was really swinging, the swinging sixes. Yeah. And there'll never be another swinging sixes. On the pitch, you, you, you get promoted. Did you find the transition from the, the, the second division to the first division? Was that difficult? How did you find it? Well, it was faster. And it was harder, you know. And you played against better players. And you, you just had to try and adapt yourself to it, you know, and just give the best you could, you know. Well, we uh, we done well the first season. It weren't too bad, but as other clubs start getting better players, we were starting to lose players, and it was hard to get players in then. Because when Newcastle went for a player, it went up another ten thousand pound, and we actually we didn't do too bad, you know. We never won much, like it didn't, but we're entertaining, and put it that way. Mm. That's that's just what fans want, isn't it, to be entertained? Uh, what about the players you played with then? We've mentioned a few there. You've mentioned Wynn, uh, Davies, uh, David Craig. I mean, for you, who were the kind of the ones that stood out? Well, you had your half-back line with the best half-back line in both divisions, the first division and the second division, Anderson, Ali and McGrath. They were great. And then you had Alan Suddick. He was a great player, Alan Suddick. He'd done the stepovers and the free kicks long before Beckham and them did it. He was brilliant, Alan. And you had um, Craig, eh? Clark, eh? You had um, little, uh, there's a little fellow called, uh, oh, what was his name? Colin Taylor. He had the hardest shot you've ever seen in a football. He hit the ball from the halfway line. We played Huddersfield. He hit the ball and he, the ball shook for th 30 seconds. That's how hard he was. He kicked one in training and he did Jimmy Harley on his backside. His bum was red for a fortnight. He was, there was that many coming on, Jimmy Kerry, Willie Penman, Barry Thomas, Albert Bennett. There was a stack of good, decent players come there and a lot of them didn't want to leave Newcastle. And it looks like I was one of them. I went, I went to the worst place going, I went to Barra. There's only one way in and one way out. But Joe Cummings come down to set me away, the reporter for the Daily Mail. He says, oh, never mind, Ron. I said, well, I've always wanted to be a Barra boy. <laughs> um, I mean, Al Bennett was, a, was another interesting character as well. For you, um, who was the best kind of striker you played with? Yeah, no, let's see now. Barry Thomas was good. He was quite reasonable, Barry. You know, I played a few games with um, yeah, what a Ivor Brodis. He was quite a good, uh, good inside forward, made goals and scored them himself. But there wasn't many come in the era I was there. Bobby Cummings came. It was uh, mainly defenders and wingers and that that they were getting. It wasn't like a striker, and they weren't classed as a striker. Hmm. You were a centre forward, inside right and inside left, right half and left half. You know, but uh, nowadays, everybody's a striker. It doesn't matter where you're playing at. And we, we've got the Newcastle United shirt, your number nine there on, yeah. on, on the on the table there. Um, I mean, that must fill you with a sense of pride. Oh, that's uh, the best thing that ever happened to me in my life was coming to Newcastle and being the centre forward. Even when Jackie Milburn used to come and play head tennis with us and Len Shackleton, big, big stars. And you know, and you're with them in the same room. It's an aura you get, you know. It's the same. David and I went to um, we went to a show, and Gordon Banks was the guest speaker. And Gordon was sitting next to me because I knew Go I knew Gordon from when I played for Bolton, you know. And the story how he always told him, he says, "I know, I know." He says, <laughs> "We're playing uh, Leicester." And I hit one from 30 yards and he flew right in the corner. And I says, I remember you, Gordon, not looking up, you were just saying, it's that McGarry again. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, David says, introduces to him, to Gordon Banks. So I says, David, Gordon Banks. He says, can I sit next to him? <laughs> I says, aye. I mean, you and David Craig got a, a really good, good We were in Dick's together, David and I. I had to look after him. He was only 17, you know, when he came to Newcastle. And I uh, had to look after him. His mother reporting, and when his mum was coming over here with his pet, with her father and uh, David and I were shipped out round the corner to another woman's house <laughs> for the time they were there, you know. And he was desperate for me to go to Ireland with him, but at the time it was a lot of trouble on. Hmm. I said, I'm not going there because there'll be a bullet with McGarry on it. I said, and there's no way I'm going over there, David. But uh, I've always been, well, I'm like a dad to him, you know. He rings us up regu regular. Are you going this? Are you going there? And he doesn't like coming to do's unless I'm with him. Like we've seen him at the at the, the first cup, the mm -hmm. uh, the do the other the other week, which was 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 packed out. Um, but when what was that like? Because it was did you just take on that responsibility? Um, because now we see players and they get these massive contracts at, at the age of seventeen. Some of them are yeah. paid tens of thousands of pounds, and they haven't really got that. Um, you know, because they can move they can move into a big mansion and they can afford to pay. Yeah. You know, um. So what was it like for you to, to have that responsibility? And do you think the game would be better off if there was still that kind of set up to Yes, I do. I do because uh, I can remember I was talking to Paul a lot of years ago and a lot of years. I said, you know, you're knocking around with the wrong people, Paul. Uh, you know? As in Gaza. As in uh, Gaza. Paul Gascoigne. I says, you know, they're bringing you down. You know, you're a great player, man. But you couldn't get through to Paul Gascoigne at all. You just couldn't get to them. He had uh, too many latching onto him all the time, and it got it's got like that with a lot of players. You've got Merson, you had uh, Adams. You know all these went straight. Too much money, too quick, and likes it the day now. The kids have got to get somebody to look after them. Where we had nobody, we didn't have agents or anything. We had nobody at all. It was just up to yourself what you wanted to do. And if you were, uh, like Harvey would tell you, you're going off the rails and do this, that, and the other to, to players, you know, to get them back on. You know, this is a good job. You're getting good money. He says, if you've got to work for a living, it's going to be totally different. And if you could have people counselling them youngins at these ages, it would be ideal. Mm. And what was it like for you? To, to do that for, for David Craig. For David, well, I knew he was only a young lad. He was dead, dead quiet, dead quiet, you know. Plus, he had the car to take us back and forth to work. <laughs> <laughs> but he was quiet, and uh, my wife was a kid of mine and that, you know. He, and he used, you could see him blushing. <laughs> and he's still the same now. He's, uh, he's quiet now, David. Doesn't get riled or nothing. And you had to report into his mum? Oh, to report his mother. One day I was at, uh, we were lying in bed, and he gives me a shake. I think it was about eight, nine o'clock it was, he shaking me. I said, what's the matter, man? I said, I've been out last night, man. I said, I wanted to lie in. He says, somebody's parked a, a Mini Cooper over the hour drive. I says, what color is it? He says, white. I says, I did. He says, but you can't drive. I says, I know. He says, well, how did you get it up here? I says, well, I just put it in one gear and I drove all the way up. He says, you could have burnt the exhaust, uh, the uh, clutch out. He says, well, where is it from? Oh, I says, it's Dr. Rose. He says, where's she living? I says, somewhere in Jesmond. He says, well, we'll have to take it back. So we've gone round Jesmond and we couldn't find a flaming house. And then I says, oh, see that off license? I was in there for a, a bottle of whiskey and I says, it's round the corner. So we went round the corner and there was the house. So we put the top of the drive and I had to drive it down into the drive. He says, you could have killed your stupid self, he says. But he says, that's you. <laughs> it is because I've, I've met David and he's a very quiet character and, and, and many people describe you as the, like, you know, the kind of the funny man, very uh, witty. And it is kind of two kind of separate. Separate, things, yeah. yes. You could never get David. You get David who would go out, as you say, you'd seen him the other night and he was talks very low on that. You could go on with David 
and he'd most probably just sit there until you said, why don't you say something? And say, David, they're asking this question and asking that question. But David is so shy, you know. And when he starts uh, a set to tell a story, he gets muddled halfway through. You know, more or less wondering why am I doing this on the stage? <laughs> Tremendous fullback, though. Oh, it was a great fullback. It was the best fullback they had for years. You see, you had him, Johnny Craggs, serving that, was all going for the same place. And David was the one that kept getting in, you know. And it's hard for uh, when you're following a great player and he's playing well all the time. You mentioned um, Jackie Milburn, Shackleton coming to play head tennis. I mean, what, when was the first time you met Milburn? Because obviously, um, you know, he is arguably, Shearer's side, I'm sure Shearer right. would have a few arguments, but, you know, one of the greatest number nines the club's oh, ever had. Oh, no doubt about that. I met him, uh, we were playing his testimonial. Jackie's testimony, 45,000 people. Bizarre that he thought no one would turn up because it was 10 years after, uh-huh. wasn't it? Since 45,000. He, he thought nobody would turn up. <laughs> I was sitting there and talking. But he used to always come up to see Joe Harvey. And we were sometimes sitting in uh, with Joe and we'd have a chat with Jackie and that. And then Joe and Shaq and them used to challenge us at head tennis. We never ever won us. We were useless compared to them three, you know. But uh, even Shaq, when he wrote his book, and he says, this is what I think about the directors, and he's got a blank page <laughs> in the book. But he was a character, you know, but there were poorly paid people. Like, uh, I, I still bump into Bobby Corbett, the fullback son. His father used to go down the pit on a Saturday morning at 6 o'clock, get up at 2 o'clock from the pit and get his boots in a brown paper bag, get the bus and go and play a match. Mm. And that, I can always remember Bellamy mourning about, it, it, you know, I should be up front with Shearer, you know, I shouldn't be wandering all around this, that and the other. And I says, Craig, man, I says, you're getting 45,000 pounds a week. I says, what's that to do with it? I says, if they were giving me that, in the 60s, and Joe Harvey come to me and said, swim across the lake in Leeds' Park. I says, I would be on the blooming lake swinging. I says, you didn't realise how... I says, you're in the team, that's all you've got to bother about. But it was, it was another ball she won, but he wanted to always say he was better than Shearer, you know. Mm. Um, so in the dressing room, um, what kind of pranks were there? Were, were you constantly pulling pranks on other players? Was it kind of? And what, did you ever get caught out yourself as well? No, I got. I used to get big John McLean at me when I first come back from Australia. Big John, I used to hide, hide his trainers. <laughs> I used to stuff things in his pocket because they were only things you hung your clothes up. I used to stick all sorts of things. But I stuck a bar of soap in the just being used. <laughs> And he would, I'll not tell you what he said. <laughs> so, I, and when I come back from Australia, I went to uh, a show with Big John. We were doing it on uh, one of the clubs. <laughs> he says, we're talking away, and I says, oh, I says, hey, I've, I've just found out. I says, you're a postman at Cockermouth, weren't you? He says, aye, how do you know that? I says, oh, I says, my mate lives down there, and he was passing... This house, you know, he's a postman. Same as you, he was passing his house, he says, and on the dog kennel, it would beware of the postman. <laughs> he said, <laughs> There was a, a lot of, uh, mainly they were all just jovial uh, things and that, you know. They couldn't wait to get training of it and go in Mark Tony's cafe and sit and get the free co- cups of coffee and a sandwich. <laughs> Better, better days, I think, wasn't they? They were fantastic days. Um, I just want to talk about as well about the card that you've printed. You just gave me one there as I walked in. Um, have goals, will travel. travel uh, I was, uh, there used to be a programme on the television, Have Guns Will Travel. It was uh, a Western. And I was in the town one day and this, I was talking to this printer, Fred. I says, I've got to get a gimmick. We'll have to think something up, you know. And so Fred and I, we got in. in he was a printer. We were in there. And I, said, and I says, what about this paladin thing? I've goals. I've uh, guns will travel. I says, could you not shove goals in that? So if Fred done a, a one and we had a good look at it. I've goals will travel. Ron McGarry, Newcastle United. 
He says, try them. So he gave us 50 of them. So I started to give the television lot that was going on the telly. And before I knew it, I was getting calls from Singapore and everything to send them for the army. I must have got a, a, about 3,000 blooming cards I had to send out to them all. And everywhere I went, even now, I, I'd only show last year, and this bloke coming and says, Can, have you got any of your cards left? I says, that was 1964. He says, but have you got any? I said, I've got some hard duplicates and that. He says, give us half a dozen, will you? So I give them, and I still get asked for them now, you know, when I'm going different places. I mean, how would, does that feel then? Because at a time when there was no social media, there wasn't any mobile phones and all that, and, and you kind of just had to literally write yourself into the history books yeah. of how you played. And all these years after, you were still you're doing shows. You, was, you know, we were at the Fairs Cup the other day. People were coming up to you. Um, are you still taken back a little bit about, about how much um, your career meant to people here in Newcastle? Yeah, I was talking to one of my friends the other day. I said, you know, I'm still signing books, you know, when I played. And I, how do people still remember you? He says, ah, but it's passed down from the the fathers, the grandfathers, and passed down. And with the media now, and you've got uh, the television, you can just Google, and uh, you find out about people. Because I was in hospital, <coughs> excuse me, I was in hospital, and uh, there were two young nurses come, and we were talking away, and I was signing an autograph, and they said, did you play football? I said, well, I used to play for Newcastle. And they start giggling. I said, well, go and Google it. So they came back about a quarter of an hour later on with me on their phone. We've Googled you. Look at you. I said, yeah, look look at me lovely black hair that used to flow in the wind. And they said, ah, you were good looking. I know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I taught, I used to tell the few jokes to the doctors and that used to come round, you know. I've just been like that all my life. You, know, it's, it, you only get one shot at life. Well, interestingly, Gibbo compared you to Mick Quinn in Quinn. the sense that he said, you know, both of you could easily be stand-up comedians. And, and you know, Mick Quinn was another one who, Aye, you know, you listen to him on the radio today, he's, he's quick as a wit. Um, we do a column with him, uh, you know, but he also knew where the goal was, just like Aye. yourself. Aye. Well, Quinny, uh, I used to get, I mean, I've done a few shows together, Quinny and I. Yeah. I bumped into him all last year. And I seen him, I said, God, look at the weight you put on, lad. You're not fat. He says, ah, I've the day. There's a purpose. I says, what do you mean a purpose getting as fat as you are? He says, you know that competition I won for losing the most weight a few years ago? I says, ah, you got so many. I think it was the 2,000, 3,000 pounds or something, you know. He says, well, they're doing it again, so I'm putting weight on so I can take it off. I said, God, get lost. But Quinny was always, he was always like that. He used to have bets with me in my betting shop and he still owes me 50 quid for one of the bets. He got transferred and he hadn't paid the bet. Uh, that's quite a list. You've got Tom Jones owns, owes you the cufflinks. Cufflinks. And you've got Quinny owns you 50 quid. I used to put the, they used to ring my shop and I used to lay theirs off. And I used to take the tax off them and the book I was it off to, I got it tax-free, so I was making money out of their money. <laughs> um, you talk about there, keep me fit and everything. Just, we were speaking there after we had a little break about your, pre, your pre-season routine, and um, I mean, you'll tell it now, but it just seems bizarre. <laughs> I mean, I can't, I can't imagine them doing, doing it today. Well, yes, well, to keep fit, I used to put uh, plastic around uh, my waist and my upper body and out and... T- tracksuit on top. I used to drop my wife at uh, her mother-in-law's. She used to pick them up at Walkergate, and I used to run from Walkergate to Timemouth Beach. As soon as I got there, I used to strip off and dive straight in the water. It was freezing, but I'd done that every Sunday, which if you told them to do it now, they'd think you're a nutcase, but it kept me fit. Um. So you you left Newcastle. You didn't really want to want no. to leave, um, and then a couple of years later, they ended up winning the Fairs Cup. Aye. Was there has there ever been a case where you you, you think you know I, I should have been part of that side? Well, that would have been the, the only well the second medal that I, I'd ever got. You know, 
if I hadn't went to Barra, which I was forced to go, because I I was at um, I was at a dinner at um, with the mayor of Newcastle who was sitting there, and the phone rang and he says, "Ron, Lord Westwood's on the phone for you." I says, "He doesn't know I'm here." He says, "Well, he does now. He's on the phone for you." So I got on the phone. I says, "Ron McGarry's speaking." He says, "Ron, uh, come up here. You're signing for Barra." I said, "I'm not going to Barra." I says, "There's nothing there." He says, you're going to Barrow, you didn't play football for anybody else. So I had to go up, and that's when I went to Barrow. Because that must have been some, I mean, some four, when Newcastle were in the first division, then you're off Going to, down to fourth? Yeah. So, I mean, you were still, what, only 30, 31? Well, I could have went to Middlesbrough, actually. Stan Anderson had taken Middlesbrough over, and Willie Penman and I could have went. And they said, I'm going back a long time now. They said, we'll give you £600 signing on in an hairdressing shop with the staff. And I said to my wife, they want us to go sign for Middlesbrough. They're going to give us an hairdressing shop. A hairdressing shop. Aye, <laughs> ladies' hairdressing shop. And I says, uh, what do you think? And she said, I'm not going to Middlesbrough. I want to get away from here. I want to move further away, you know. So I finish up with Barra. It was a big come down even from that, where I could have been, had been in business, you know. But no, me with business, I would have most probably lost it anyway. Mm. Um, and then, I mean, when you saw them win the first cup, did, could you see that Joe Harvey was was building a side to to to, to lift a cup like the first cup? Because I mean, a tremendous achievement. It was a good achievement, you know. Look, was on their part in that way where the two. Two teams in the same city couldn't enter, and we yeah. got in through likes of that, you know. And it was a good achievement for Joe to do that, you know, because they played some good teams. And um, Joe, like, he, he deserved it, actually, because even when the club was struggling through one manager, Joe would come in for a few games and all that and mm. stop the boat sinking, you know. He, he was good that way, and he, and he deserved it, Joe. Did uh, Westwood ever give you a reason to why he moved you on? No, that was it. You just come and go. You can't be like now, they'll say, I'm not playing right half or I'm not playing here, I want to be away. There was none of that. You signed a contract for 12 months, hoping you would be retained for another 12 months. So the club could get rid of you straight away anyway. But uh, I had no choice, I had to go to Barra. Um and then years went by. You returned to to the northeast, um, Gateshead as well, which yeah. is obviously a lot in the news at the moment, given their um, off the field issues. Just uh, at the present, at the present. I mean, just a quick word on that. It, it, it's terrible to see. Well, when it? I went to Gateshead as player manager, my solicitor put money into it, and what he wanted to do was to put a. The, this is the old Gateshead, was to put a clubhouse on the ground so they could sell beer and food and that to help the club mm. money-wise, you know. Which, and he went to Gateshead Council to borrow some money and they wouldn't give him nothing, said we didn't want anything. Well, he got sick of putting money in and he, he just, because we, we were second top of the Midland League then, we are in that and we were second top and we had some good players. And when he went out, he just we just folded up and somebody else took it over and... It's a shame, you know, they've, uh, I don't think Gates have ever wanted football over there. You know, the the councils and that, they should have been helping them. Mm. It, it just shows you what they're doing with this, um, the club at uh, Bolton and the different places and that, you know, the, the councils could bend over a little bit by not uh, having them to pay for uh like said, certain things and all that, just mm. to help them along, but they don't seem to want it. Of course, that must also maybe bring a, a little tear at your eye, having been a Bolton player and seeing now that, you know, oh, it's at the terrible. very most, they'll be able to play behind closed doors at the very worst. Yeah. You know, they they might not exist in a few months. Well, I, I did, I'd done a spell in Australia. I went to Australia for a few years and I was player manager of... Um, South Coast United, and I was a manager of another club. You could do two clubs, you know. And we won the, uh, we won the, my division, my team won the division. The reserves won the division and won the amateur cup. 
and we were unbeaten and uh, when I went to renew the contract the club was starting to lose money so they said we'd have to drop your wages well down and I said oh I've been here a few years now I'm not gonna I said I've worked hard to get what we did you know I says we won the Grand Slam I says you've been in England you've got a bonus for that I says I got nothing and that's, that's when I come home and I went back to Gateshead. Did you ever envisage having a job at a higher level or did management, was there a, was there a moment where you thought management's not really for me? Well, I'd been doing the management in Australia and all that and I come back here and, you know, it's if your face fits to get into a good, decent job. You know, and I'd been away for a long time, you know, a good few years and, it didn't dawn on me, I just thought I'll get a job and just sail on that way on, you know. But as my wife says, you had the gift of the gab and that, you should have went in for something like that. You know, and I said, well, it's a bit too late now. Because I bought three houses, you know. I put deposit on three houses in different countries and I forgot all about them and lost all the three houses. I had one on Walney Island, the posh part in Barra, I forgot about that when I went to Australia. I had one in Australia, a great big house in Australia, and I forgot about that when I'd come home here. And, I've, and about five years, six years later on, I said, hey, all them blooming houses we really lost, you know. I put all the money down, see, in 1970, when I, was, I put £300 deposit on a house at Walney Island, which was a kind of bit money, you know. Well, I lost all them. So my, I might have went to a club as a manager <laughs> and done the club, you know. But uh, he didn't fancy uh, getting a property portfolio. Um, <laughs> I mean, so let's just sum up like what it meant to play for Newcastle United then. Um, did it beat your expectations? Oh, I, uh, when, I first, when I first went to Newcastle, to me, they were just a club. Just a club, you know. And then the more the fans you got in it with the fans and uh, the things you were doing outside of football... And people wanting your autograph, wanting a photograph with you and all that. And me coming from Whitehaven, it's like Wurzel Gummidge country, you know. Where it used to, on a Saturday, you used to go into the field, uh, this, this Sunday you go into the field and watch the cows being born and all that. That was your highlight of the day, <laughs> you know. And then you're coming up to a big city like Newcastle where everything's up there. And it was a swing in 60s. The clubs were fantastic. You had all the big shops. And you were part of that. And everybody wanted to know you. Did it strike you how much Newcastle meant to everybody? Because even today, you lose on a Saturday, you know, your Sunday, your Monday, your Tuesday, your Wednesday, until you start getting that pre-game feeling. It's 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 the atmosphere oh, oh. around the city. You can feel it. Well, you, you look at Newcastle United. You could open the gates on a Friday... And you'd have 10,000 would go in just to watch the grass grown. They're that fanatical. And we're lucky that we should be in a better position than we are. We're lucky to have the fans that they've got here. Because that's so low. They breathe, eat and sleep Newcastle United. And you'll never, ever get a club as good as these. Modern day Newcastle United, obviously when you left, you've then you saw Supermac take on the number nine. Um, you know, Alan Shearer, some great names. Yes. Um, was there a moment where you, you what was there a moment where you looked at the players after you and you thought, goodness me, I really did have a, a special, special shirt. Yeah. Oh yeah. When you see the likes of them, Shearer and, uh, and Big Mac, I remember Big Mac's first game. I was going in for a bit of treatment on the Sunday morning, and Mac they were playing Liverpool, and Mac had got kicked in the face. And he was lying there with the three teeth <laughs> hanging out. And I, I said, well, welcome to Newcastle, Malcolm. <laughs> I says, it could have been worse. You could have been getting kicked around in Benwell <laughs> and them places. And we become friends, Malcolm and I. We often sitting, when we're at the doors, we have a chat that. Because he says to us, uh, why don't you and I do the comedy club? I says, well, it wouldn't work that way, Malcolm. He says, how's that? I says, well, when you tell a story, we've only got an hour, and it takes you a bloody hour to tell one story. 
I says when you started about them five goals you scored for England, I was sitting with Pop Robson and he kept going on, he passed to Mearley, he went there and he went there and he went there, every individual goal. And Pop Robson says to me, I'm glad he didn't get six. <laughs> I know, we, we, we know all And Alan's that. been Alan's been uh, the star up here. He, he wanted to come back here and he proved himself what he was and he'd done very, very well. Tremendous strike. Oh. I mean, watching, you know, watching Sheerard, brilliant in the air, brilliant power. Um, what what do you think your main attributes were as a striker? What made you well, so I could, good? I could chill the ball at a big bottom, bottom, you know. You could chill the ball. I couldn't get round you. And uh, I could strike a ball. I'd, the movement was the main thing for a centre-forward. You've got to know when to go and when not to go. You see, we used to... If I was... Um, <clears throat> if, if the inside forward went past me, I'd drop back in his position. And the same with a half-back coming overtaken inside forward he dropped back so he always said your your system you were playing to and your defenders and but Alan could do anything he was strong in the air I thought Alan would have been when for another season I thought he would have played himself centre off because he would have been able to play there hmm. well, so, is there a, a goal for you that stands out or a memory that you know stands well, the, out for you the three goals I scored against Northampton when we were we joined top of the second division and we beat them five nil and I got three. That uh, that one sticks out. But as I keep saying to uh, my friends, I go in the shop where my friends are. They're all geriatrics. They're either on a Zimmer frame, a walking stick, or and I reminisce with them because they used to go when I when I was playing, you know. And we always go back. It was better in the old days than that. And the other said that. I said, but it's totally different now. Hmm. Um, on to the modern day number nine, Salman Rondon. Have you been impressed with what you've seen? I think a little bit more speed. Is that little bit slowness, you know, but he can hold the ball up. He can strike the ball at it, but it, it, it's his pace. And at times I've watched him, he's, he's, he's been caught out a couple of times, well, a few, can a few times. He's gone too early. And he hasn't come back when he should have cut, had a, a shorter ball with a one-two and all that. And uh, I suppose if he had better players around him, like uh, Beardsley was around Cole, mm. and Cole scored a lot of goals off Beardsley's through balls, and that's what Rondon wants. He wants a, somebody that can lay through for him, but it's that little bit lack of pace that's beating him. And Rafa Benitez, I mean, obviously you worked with Joe Harvey. Joe Harvey's held up there with the likes of Kevin Keegan and Sir Boy Robson uh. as someone who got the club, knew what it meant to be manager of Newcastle. And Benitez is held in the same, same I bracket. I think he's done exceptionally well. With what he's had to choose from over the past few years, I think he's been here three years, is it? He's done exceptionally well. They've been in impossible positions and he's pulled them through it. And God knows if we had the players like you get, even the ones at Manchester... City and all them, what would Benitez be able to do with them? How important is it that Mike Ashley gives Benitez what he wants and, and, and persuades him to sign a new contract? I, well, if people get onto me about it and when they're talking about the football. I said, you've got to take into consideration this fellow's a businessman. He wants to make money. He doesn't want to just throw money down the drain by buying a plane and giving him 60 or £70,000 a week. He's, he looks into everything before. And the players in the past that we've bought weren't as good as the players that we transferred. And I think that's where we're lacking it. Mm. When we do go to buy, we seem to struggle to buy the right player. I know we've bought this young lad uh, 20 million to pay for him. It, the poor lad's not getting the service. He's graphing himself. He shouldn't be graphing back in defence and that. He should be up front. And if he gets a beard's lean with him where he can go on, son, and, I'll sh and shove it through for him. But it's, it's the signings that we mainly think. I know we all would love being eighties to get about 100 million to buy players, but it's buying the right players at the right mm. time. Um, well, then, just to, just to sign off, um, what would be your message to... 
to Mike Ashley, would you encourage him to, to back the manager? Oh, I would, I'd give him money and back manager. But give him money, back the manager, but back the right type of player that you need. If you've got a good defence, it can nearly guarantee you a point. Mm. And then the the strikers can give you extra what we think. But if you've got a weak in defence, like we've given a lot of bad goals for years at the back. We've given silly goals away. And the sooner, they, like Joe Harvey built from the back, and then he started buying his forwards. But that's what we need, is decent signings. And we've got their signings that can hold the ball, read the game, and talk to the people. You watch some games, they're getting caught out because nobody's shouting man on. Whether it's the languages with different races there, and they don't know some of them, like the goalkeeper's been saying he, he's learning English now, but he couldn't understand the Jody when he first came. I feel like telling me it took me four years to understand them. And just sum up then the fans of Newcastle United um, because you know well, they're just fantastic aren't they oh they're the best the best supported club I've ever known I've played in uh, all different parts of the world but they didn't get support like they do here Newcastle they love the football here they would rather not pay the rent and go to the match it's a, that uh, up here it's fantastic and finally just the best the best move you've ever made yes couldn't, be, couldn't have come to a better place. Well, there you have it. Thank you very much, Ron, for joining us. Um, head over to chroniclelive.co.uk. Keep with it with all the latest Newcastle United news. Thank you.